Well, happy Sunday, church family, and I'd like to give a big welcome to all of our guests who are listening in online this weekend. I just want to thank you for joining our podcast, and if you are a guest, feel free to check out our website, go to occ.org. Uh, you can learn more about our mission and our vision as a church. Well, if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 7. Dr. Luke wrote these words, beginning in verse 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread and the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Once the church was established in Acts chapter 2, it didn't take long for the early church leaders to become overextended, too distracted and ineffective with their primary ministry responsibilities. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, we read about how the apostles started taking on too much responsibility for ministry to happen effectively. See, there were a lot of physical needs in the church, and because there weren't enough people who had been properly equipped to meet these needs, different groups started to feel neglected. These early apostles were more than willing to do the work that needed to be done, but they weren't very skilled or proficient at it. These men were also torn between meeting the physical needs of others and fulfilling their pastoral duties, specifically praying for the church and teaching the word of God. So they called a meeting with all the believers, and it was decided that the apostles would appoint pastoral assistants who would oversee the food program and ministry to widows, giving the apostles the opportunity to focus on the role that God had given them, which is praying and teaching the word of God. This passage in Acts chapter 6 is a description about what these early Christians chose to do about a specific situation, but it's not prescriptive, meaning it doesn't tell us exactly what we should do. This passage also doesn't mention the role of deacons in the way God's word addresses deacons later on in the New Testament. A lot of commentators and historians believe that the position and role of deacons in the church started back in Acts chapter 6 by the apostles in Jerusalem. Now, whether that's the case or not, from this section of Scripture, we can see the biblical principle that when the spiritual leaders in the church become overextended, to the point where they, they don't have time for prayer, teaching God's word, and caring for the spiritual needs of the church, there should be others who are equipped and appointed to help alleviate some of the load doing the work of the ministry. This is the pattern that we see throughout the New Testament. Well, we're in week three of our series, Biblical Church Leadership. 
And today we're going to talk about the role of deacons in the church. In the New Testament, we do have a few examples of local congregations that didn't have deacons, but we never see a local congregation without elders. Um, The pattern that we see in the New Testament is that elders were always appointed first. And then when there was too much ministry to go around, they would equip pastoral assistants called deacons who could help with the work of the ministry. Elders and deacons are mentioned together on two different occasions in the New Testament. And that's because these two groups of leaders are meant to work closely together. In his book on church leadership, pastor and author Mark Driscoll has this to say about elders and deacons. I really like this. He says, practically, elders and deacons work together like left and right hands, with elders specializing in leading by their words and deacons specializing in leading by their works. Whenever we hear the words elder and deacon, I think there's a tendency in the church for people to think that one is better than the other. Some people have the assumption that if you work really hard as a deacon, then one day, if everything goes right, you'll have the opportunity to be promoted to the role of elder. This way of thinking about elders and deacons couldn't be further from the truth. Personally, I like to think of these roles like a marriage. Within the covenant relationship of marriage, both the husband and the wife are equal in the eyes of God. But they are different, each having a unique role to fulfill. Elders and deacons are equal, but different. They have different roles. Elders specialize in leading with their words, and deacons specialize in leading with their works. The role of elder and deacon in the church was was also never meant to imitate local and national government, acting as a system of checks and balances. Again, I fear that some people believe that our elders are the leaders of the church, but that we also need deacons who can help keep the elders in check just in case they're wrong in the direction that they're leading the church. This is not the model that we see in the New Testament and is not the purpose of the elders and deacons in the church. Elders and deacons are meant to work together, one primarily leading with their words and the other with their works. So the first big question that we're going to look at today is this. um, What is a deacon? Our English word deacon is translated from the Greek word diakonos, which literally means servant or the one who serves. Deacons are the servants of the church who lead and do the work of the ministry in the church. The list of qualifications and characteristics for the role of deacon in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is nearly identical to that of the elder, minus the teaching and preaching abilities. This shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us because the list of qualifications and characteristics for both elders and deacons should also be the characteristics of all those who truly walk with Christ. The second big question that we're going to look at today, and this is where we'll spend most of our time, is what qualifies someone to serve as a deacon? Last week, we looked at the qualifications for elders found in two places. You have the book of Titus, chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, as well as 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Now, the passage in 1 Timothy 3 moves directly into the qualifications for deacons in the church. So that begins in verse 8. I'd like to read this passage in context, and then we'll look at these qualifications, qualities, and characteristics individually. So 1 Timothy chapter 3 Verses 8 through 13, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. 
They must first be tested, and then, if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and a great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So I'd like to give you seven words that all begin with the letter S that summarize this list of qualifications and characteristics for someone serving as a deacon. Uh, Number one, a deacon is to be serious. A deacon is to be serious. So in verse eight, the qualification that deacons are to be worthy of respect is best translated as grave or reverent. So deacons are to be reverent. Now, when someone serves in any role in the church, whether that's children's ministry, uh, serving on our welcome team, our worship team, or even something like our fellowship ministry, there should always be a sense of reverence when going about the task. Every single act of service in the church is important because we're working for the Lord. Pastor and author Alistair Begg likes to say that there are no menial tasks in the kingdom of God. He's saying every job is important. Every single job. So this requirement that deacons are to be worthy of respect or reverent is really just a reminder that this is also a characteristic of any Christian who is serving in the church. Colossians chapter 3 verse 23 reminds us uh, that whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. You know, here at OCC, we believe that every single job is important. Every job is important. In fact, on the count of three, I'd like for you to repeat that with me, that every job is important. One, two, three. Every job is important. And we believe that with everything that we are. Anytime you have the opportunity to serve, I want to encourage you to serve with all your heart because you're serving the Lord. You know, from our paid staff to our amazing volunteers, we have a lot of fun working and serving together in the church. The camaraderie in our church is amazing. But we're also serious about our mission, and we understand that it's a privilege to serve God with the gifts that he's given us. So deacons are to be serious about the role that God has given them. Number two, a deacon is to be sincere. So not only are deacons to be serious in how they serve in their role, but they should also be sincere. Um, This word refers to consistency. Uh, Consistency in how they interact with people, both inside and outside the church, and how they serve in the church. Um, A deacon should be the same person in the workplace, in their family, in their circle of friends, as they are when serving in their role in the church. You know, our lives were never meant to be broken up into different compartments, like the different rooms in a house, you know, having a different room for everything. So you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you have different rooms for different things. You have your kitchen where you prepare meals and you eat and maybe eat as a family. Uh, you have your living room where you gather and watch movies or play games or relax. Uh, you have your bathroom where you shower and get ready and brush your teeth. Um, we have different rooms in our houses, but our, our lives were never meant to be that way. In Christ, God should have access to and lead every part of our lives. Um, So deacons should lead by example, living out a sincere faith in Jesus, both in the church and in the community. Um, They're consistent. They're the same person in one place as they are another. They say what they mean, and they mean what they say. Um, Deacons should be consistent and sincere in their faith. Well, number three, a deacon is to be sober. 
A deacon is to be sober. Uh, one of the qualifications and characteristics of a deacon is not indulging in much wine. Now, the literal translation here is not too much wine or being addicted. Um, in other words, deacons shouldn't be overfond of alcohol. Right, their minds should not be occupied by it, and they shouldn't devote their time to it. I believe that deacons should be Ephesians 5.18 people. Uh, this verse says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, God's word does not prohibit drinking, um, but it does prohibit getting drunk for the Christian. Now, anyone serving in leadership um, should strongly consider Paul's words here. Paul associates being drunk with the life of an individual who's outside of Christ, giving into and being led by selfish desires. You know, instead of debating how much alcohol is okay or, or not okay, I believe we should be far more concerned about how much the Holy Spirit has of us. Now, let me say that again. Instead of debating about how much alcohol is okay or not okay, we should be far more concerned about how much the Holy Spirit has of us. You know, I've actually heard stories about aspiring elders and deacons who decided to give up drinking altogether because they didn't want anything to come between their relationship with God and their witness towards others in the church and in the community. Well, number four, a deacon is to be satisfied. A deacon is to be satisfied. Uh, verse eight ends by saying that deacons should not pursue dishonest gain. In other words, they're content. They live generously instead of living to accumulate more. The reason I chose the word satisfied is because later on in 1 Timothy chapter 6, when Paul addresses the entire church about how the love of money is a root for all kinds of evil, he makes the point that the antidote to the love of money is contentment. And contentment is found when we stand firm on the promise that our Heavenly Father is our perfect provider. He, he promises to always provide for our needs. Our contentment is found in Christ. If deacons uh, are overseeing budgets in the church, if they're dealing with money or are leading a ministry that's focused on meeting the physical needs of others, and at the same time they're not content in their own lives, they, they live to accumulate more, then that will eventually make its way into the church and will inevitably hurt the church's mission and ministry that God's given us. I love 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. It's a wonderful verse. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul is saying that gain in this life, great gain, great wealth, is actually learning to be content in God. This is an important biblical truth and principle for all believers and is the key to spiritual growth. You see, when we love God and center our lives on Him, we can be content with what He's given us and with what He's doing in our lives. So deacons are to be satisfied in Christ, not pursuing dishonest gain and leading by example as they model contentment in Christ. Number five, a deacon is to be spiritual. A deacon is to be spiritual. Verse nine says, they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. So if deacons are the servants of the church, I've often wondered why a verse like this is included in the overall list of qualifications and characteristics, that they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith. I believe Paul is reminding us that it's wrong for us to think that the service ministries of the church are to be done only by people who are good at painting walls or cleaning things up. See, in the same way that there are no menial tasks in the kingdom, there are also no unspiritual tasks in the kingdom. 
The way in which we do everything will convey what our foundation really is and what truly matters to us. Deacons are to be individuals who hold the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience and live these truths out through their acts of service. Deacons are to be individuals who have been changed and are being changed by the gospel, who understand the deep truths of the faith and hold true to these truths with a clear conscience. As deacons serve in the church, they're interacting with people who need Jesus, and they should be able to explain the gospel to others as they serve. A great reminder for us today in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, says you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. This verse is for all believers, especially leadership in the church. And although the elders are the spiritual leaders of the church, um, the spiritual demand in this list of qualifications is the same for both. Deacons are to be spiritual. They, they love the Lord. They love the word of God. They grow in the word. They live out the word and they love people. Number six, a deacon is to be selected. A deacon is to be selected. Verse 10 says, they must first be tested. And then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. When we look back to Acts chapter 6, the individuals who were chosen to oversee the mercy ministries in the church were individuals who were selected. They weren't random people the apostles just grabbed off the street. Um, They were chosen based on what others knew about them. They were chosen based on their character, their relationship with God, and their relationship with others. So Paul is saying it's only after a season of testing, making sure that an individual is above reproach, that they're given the opportunity to serve as a deacon in the church. This is one area Uh, where I believe we can grow as a church, that we can do better in this area. We need to give people the opportunity to go through a season of testing before we decide whether or not they're fit to serve as a deacon. We need to spend the time that it takes to properly test and equip individuals for this role. Number seven, a deacon is to be settled. A deacon is to be settled. Verse 12 says, a deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. As with the elders of the church, deacons are to be individuals who manage their homes well, loving and caring for their spouse and children in the way that Christ loves and cares for the church. If a deacon's home life is a mess, so if there are broken relationships, if things are in shambles, there might need to be a season where they step away from serving in a particular role in the church for a short time so that more attention can be given to the family. I want to say this loud and clear today. We are never called to serve the church at the expense of our family. We are never called to serve the church at the expense of our family. A few other examples of maybe having a home life that is a mess. You know, if a deacon doesn't pay the bills on time at home, he shouldn't oversee a budget in the church. If a deacon isn't kind and compassionate toward neighbors, what evidence is there that they would be kind and compassionate in the church? Life outside the church has to be put together. It has to be settled before an individual is able to lead in the church. So a deacon is settled. Now the third and final question that we're going to address today, I think is the one that everybody wants to know about. They they want me to address this. And that is this, that can a woman serve as a deacon? This is a question that tends to cause quite a bit of division in the church, but it really shouldn't. You know, I believe this is an open-handed issue. It's a secondary issue. 
So I'd like to answer this question in three parts. First, I'll read the one verse that I skipped over when I was going through 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. You'll, you'll notice that that was verse 11, and I did that intentionally. Then I'd like to share three common interpretations of this verse. And then finally, I'll share my own opinion about this question and give a short update as to where we are as a church. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11 says, In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. So most of the debate about this question centers around this one verse. And I'll admit that Paul's language in the original Greek is kind of complicated. But there are three common interpretations for this verse, and they are as followed. Number one, that Paul is referring to the women who assist the deacons in the church. That's a common interpretation. Number two, that Paul is referring to the women who are the wives of male deacons. I have a problem with this interpretation if it's to stand on its own. So a major problem with this interpretation is that there's not a similar requirement for the wives of elders. Um, This would mean that the deacons have a higher standard to meet than the elders who hold the highest human position in the church as the spiritual leaders of the church. So in my mind, this interpretation just can't stand on its own. Number three, Paul is referring to the women in the church who serve as deacons. Depending on the translation that you're reading, you'll usually see language that suggests one of these three interpretations, and there will likely be a footnote at the bottom of the page explaining the other options, especially if you're reading a study Bible. Now, personally, I believe this verse can and does mean a combination of all three. I believe the Bible teaches that a woman can serve as a deacon, that some female deacons are married to male deacons, and that some female deacons will be working alongside or assisting other male deacons in the church. If understood in this way, then the entire passage, starting in verse 8, flows nicely as the requirements of 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 10, are for both male and female deacons. And then verse 11 goes on to give us the additional requirements for female deacons. And then finally, verses 12 through 13 list the additional requirements for male deacons. Now, we also have other evidence for female deacons in the New Testament at Romans chapter 16 and Philippians 4. Uh, Romans 16 verse 1 says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Sincrea. Now, the word deacon in Romans 16 1 is the exact same Greek word that's used in 1 Timothy 3. It means servant or one who serves. Then there are other women like Mary. Tryphena, Tryphosa, whom Paul honors and thanks for their service in Romans 16. And then Iodia and Syntyche in Philippians 4. While he doesn't use the word deacon for these women, many theologians and historians believe that they were, in fact, deacons. So as elders, as leadership in the church, um, we're going to be praying about this and looking closely at what God's word teaches about leadership in the church. Uh, More than anything, we want to be the church that God has called us to be. We know that when one part of the body is not doing its job, if one group is sidelined in the church, the entire body is going to suffer. So if this is an area where we need some course correction, then by God's grace, we're going to be obedient to God's word. We're definitely going to be in a season of prayer about this. Well, just like last week, I'd like to end our time by praying for our deacons here at OCC. So wherever you might be, I want to invite you to bow your head and we'll pray for them at this time. Heavenly Father, uh, today we want to pray for our deacons. We thank you for how you've used these faithful servants over the years uh, here at OCC, in our community, and around the world. 
We pray that you would give them wisdom as they serve and lead in the various ministries. Give them patience as they learn to build teams and equip others to be kingdom workers. Help them lead with compassion and love as they imitate Jesus in all that they do. And give them your strength and your endurance as they serve the church, helping us achieve the mission that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.